We are continuing our series called The Story of Us, thinking about our relationships. Uh, and about, we've looked at lots of different things, friendship, marriage, singleness, lots of different things. We've got lots more coming up. And today, we're thinking about how we live as a follower of Jesus in an age of public difference. And so how do we follow Jesus with our friends, with our family, with our colleagues, in our society, where people have very different belief systems and very different values to us? There may be people here in the room, for those at home, who you know your closest relationships with your family, with your friends, there is a difference in what you believe, those values you hold dear. So how do we follow Jesus? What does it look like to have faith in an age of difference? And as always, we've got a proverb that joins with us. So here's today's proverb. It's going to be on the screen. Here it is, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it is in your power to act. Some ancient wisdom there. What do you make of that for yourself? Are there areas where you can do good and you're withholding that good? Have you got the power to influence for good in your world? So have that in mind as we guide along today four key things that we're going to be reflecting on. And there's two guides that are going to be helping us. The first is the Queen. The Queen is going to guide us on our data. She's not here in the room, but we've got some quotes from her about her own faith in her role. And I was reflecting on her and when you think about it, because of the Christmas messages that she gives every year, she is arguably the person that has spoken to most people in history about Jesus. It's astonishing when you think about it. Over the seven decades, every year, speaking to millions of people, as popes have come and gone and other people who might speak of Jesus have come and gone, she has spoken to millions around the planet about Jesus. Fascinating. Regardless of this morning whether you love the monarchy or not, regardless of whether you're fed up of this weekend and the back-to-back -back coverage or not, we're going to be, help, be helped along our way by the Queen. And the second guide is Paul. Uh, Paul, the ancient book of 1 Thessalonians is going to be guiding to us and we're going to be reading through some bits where he speaks to some followers of Jesus who are in a society where there is a wide variety of views, a very diverse society, a city on the rise, a city with great influence. You've got people from all sorts of different backgrounds following all sorts of gods and none. And how do people have faith in that kind of world? And we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we are going to also mention a verse in the Bible that shocked me when I first read it. And I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on it. So we're going to be getting to that. It's quite exciting. So here we go. Here's the first thing, four key things briefly. How to have faith in an age of public difference. Four questions. And the first question is this. Who do I want to please in my life? Who do I want to please? Paul writes to the Thessalonians in modern day Greece. He says this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Thessalonica, where Paul is writing to, is a key city in Rome. It was a kind of key bridge between the Roman Empire and much of Asia. 
And Paul knows that in any such city with such a diversity of people and views, there's always a temptation to try and please either self or to please others rather than to please God. And Paul reminds us that we have an opportunity in our lives to please the God above all gods, that our lives can somehow give him pleasure. Isn't that amazing? Well, listen to these words from the Queen. As I was preparing for this, it's interesting how much she mentions Jesus. Listen to this. In 2000, she said this, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. Or in 2002, she said this, I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try and do what's right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that day brings and to put my trust in God. Now, what's fascinating is that so often we never know what the queen thinks about things. She apparently does try and sneak it in with the clothes she wears. Did you see that one when Brexit and she wore a bright blue thing with some yellow flowers? Interesting. Anyway, uh, she does apparently try to influence things subtly with brooches or handbags or whatever it might be. But so often we don't know what she thinks about things. But we do know what she thinks about Jesus. She's clear she wants to live her life to try and please God. And I wonder, for me and for churches like us, where we have spent much time trying to be relevant to our culture for very good reasons, and so many of us want to not be weird, we then end up can shift to trying to please others rather than to try to please God. There's a guy that I pass quite regularly, and I'm sure those of you in Birmingham will know this guy. He often stands by Edgebaston with his banner, God is love. Now, I don't know, some of you may know him. I've not met him. Every time I drive past him, I kind of smile and give the thumbs up and give a nod. But I know within myself, I have questions about the way he does things. But at the same time, in recent weeks, I've grown a growing sense that actually, fair play to him, because he clearly doesn't care what people think about him, whereas I would be a bit proud to do that sort of stuff. And whether his, mot- whether his methods are the what I would choose, I do want to say, well done, I'm not trying to please people and trying to please your God. And I wonder, friends, who am I trying to please? That's a good question for us to ask. Do we want to please yourself? Do we want to please others? Or actually, do we want to please the God who is the God of eternity? That's the first question. Second question today is this. Who am I trying to control? So going on, Paul reminds them they can live a life that pleases God. And he gives some hints as to what that could look like. In a very diverse society, he urges these followers to live differently. Listen to this, verses 3 to 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of brother or sister. Now, of course, the issue here for Paul, particularly is sexual stuff. 
But I wonder if the principle goes wider than that. Paul reminds these followers of Jesus in a diverse society that first and foremost, we're called to control ourselves rather than try and control others. Listen again to the words of the Queen. This is what she said in 2012. This is the time of year when we remember that God sent his only son to serve, not to be served. He restored love and service to the center of our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. Or in 1980, she said this, in difficult times, we may be tempted to find excuses for self-indulgence and to wash our hands of responsibility. Christmas stands for the opposite. We need to go out and look for opportunities to help those less fortunate than ourselves, even if that service demands sacrifice. Or in 1974, she said this, it's time to recognize that in the end, we all depend on each other and that we're therefore responsible for each other. Now, very sadly, I think we all know that in the church in the Western world, we don't have to look far to see scandal after scandal. And I wonder if part of the reason those scandals can be so damaging is because if the church has just always been heard about trying to get others and tell them how they should live, that then when in the church that behavior is not lived out, well, it's just massive hypocrisy, isn't it? There's nothing to offer the world. What's noticeable to me for Paul, and in much of the New Testament, in a very diverse and pluralistic culture, with a huge variety of different ways of living, how little the church speaks to the culture about what they should be doing. Rather, they try and take control of themselves. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control not controlling others. I remember years and years and years ago when I was at university, it was years ago now, years ago I, um, I had a lot of friends who were very into kind of the drugs scene. And I remember one evening I was sat in a room uh, and these friends became really, really good mates and they were passing around a joint. And they knew what I believed, they knew I was a follower of Jesus. And so they passed it to me and I said, no thanks mate, passed it on. And then one guy who didn't know me well had a right go at me. Why not? Are you judging us? And then another friend in the room then had a right go at him because of my faith. He, none of these other people were Christians. And there was this massive argument happening in front of me between two friends about my faith because one thought I was judging him and the other said, no, leave it out. He's just trying to live out his faith, so let him you know, chill out. And it was a reminder to me that sometimes we can spend so much trying to speak into other people's lives rather than taking control of self. And do you notice that Paul says this can be learned? So it may not be easy, we get it wrong, but self-control is something we learn. And do you notice the phrase brothers and sisters, treating each other as family changes how we see each other. Not someone to be controlled, but someone to love. That's the question. Who am I trying to control? Self or others? So, second question. Third question is this. In an age of public difference, how do we follow Jesus? Well, maybe the third question is, what does love look like in your life? Because it's clear for these followers of Jesus 
Paul is reminding them that love is more than words. Love is lived. Nine to ten. Listen to these words from Paul. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Their love was known across the whole of the region, Macedonia, Greece, today. And notice the direction they were taught by God to love. So therefore, what does love look like? Well, we first look to the way that God loves us, where Jesus himself died on a cross for us. Love is self-sacrifice lived out for others in service and humility. As we see God's love, as we're gripped by his love, so we love others. Listen again to the words of the Queen. In 2015, talking of Jesus, he knew rejection, hardship and persecution, and yet it is Jesus Christ's generous love and example which has inspired me through good times and bad. Or she went on in 2016, billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them. Because Christ's example helps me see the value of doing small things with great love, whoever does them and whatever they themselves believe. These Christians for Paul were known as loving in their acts, not just their words. And can I say, I am so thankful to be part of a church that so often lives this out. You hear story after story in group after group of people just being loved and looked after and cared for. Practical needs met. Boilers fixed. Meals delivered. Prayers prayed. Hospitals visited. Love lived out. There's such a desire here to do that. And we talk a lot in our culture, don't we, about love. And the people of God are called to live out that love so that others might look at us and say, see how they love one another. And this came home to me a few years ago when I read an article by Roy Hattersley, the the former MP, Roy Hattersley, who is an atheist, doesn't believe in God. And he wrote an article in The Guardian because he went out with the Salvation Army to be involved in some of their work helping the homeless people. And he was, the whole article in the garden was reflecting on how he didn't believe, and in fact, he was quite annoyed by what these Salvation Army people believed. And yet, when he saw what they did, it was really humbling. Listen to these words. Good works, Roy Hattersley write, are no guarantee of a place in heaven, but they are most likely to be performed by people who believe that heaven exists. It ought to be possible to live a Christian life without being a Christian, he writes. Yet men and women who, like me, cannot accept the mysteries and the miracles do not go out with the Salvation Army at night. Fascinating. Now, I don't think he's true in the sense that I think there are lots of people who don't believe in Christ, who do lots of really good things. But at the same time, I think he is getting on something. Many people live out their faith in action. And so friends, what does love look like in your life? For those who your closest friends, your closest family are not sharing your faith, what does love looked at? That self-sacrificial, being willing to stoop like Christ did and wash his disciples' feet. What does love look like in your life? So that's the first three questions. There's one final question. Here it is. What's your ambition? 
What's your ambition? And this is where we touch on, I think, one of the most underrated verses in the Bible. I've never heard a sermon on it. So today, if you haven't, you're going to hear one. Even with all of the commentaries, looking at all the study guides, unpicking 1 Thessalonians, this bit gets skipped over quite quickly because all the stuff is about sex in this passage. But here it is, shocking words for our Western culture, I think. Here they are. Verse 11 and 12. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. That's love, show love. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. Listen to the Queen's words in 1993. I'm always moved by the words in St. John's Gospel, which we hear on Christmas Day. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. We've only to listen to the news to know the truth of that. But the Gospel goes on. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. For all the inhumanity around us, let us be grateful for those who have received him, that's Christ, and who go about quietly doing their work, and his will without much thought, reward, or recognition. They know that there is an eternal truth of much greater significance than our own triumphs and tragedies, and it's embodied by the child in the manger. That is their message of hope. So Paul says to these Christians, what's your ambition? Is your ambition to change the world, to make a difference with your life? To be the kind of church that changes a city and is in positions of strategic influence? Or is it to live a quiet life, minding your own business? This verse shocks, I think, our Western world to the core. Because so many of us have grown up wanting to make a difference with our lives. And perhaps the reason I've never heard a sermon on it is because in the Western world, we don't believe this. We think that to make Jesus look great, we have to look great. But for too many of us, including myself, we've spent the idea thinking that a life of radical adventure and risk means excitement and adrenaline. What about living a quiet life, minding our own business? in a world where so many people think that they have to speak into other people's situations. Chuck DeGroat wrote a fascinating book called When Narcissism Comes to Church. Well worth reading. And in it, he says this. He quotes an author called Henri Nouwen, saying that we long to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful, which is the toxic combination refused by Jesus in the wilderness, but gladly embraced by so many Christians today. Paul says, mind your own business. <laughs> what if, friends, the most spectacular life is the least spectacular life? For those of us in the room and those of us online who you think your life has not added up to much because you've not seen the world change, what if those are the most faithful lives? 
Some of you may know the name Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. If you don't, it's a great name, but it's worth knowing. He was a guy in the 1700s, a follower of Jesus, who established a 24-7 prayer for a hundred years. This is what he said. You must never use your position to lord it over the heathen. Instead, you must humble yourselves, earn their respect through your own quiet faith and the power of the Spirit. The missionary must seek nothing for himself, no seat of honor or hope of fame. You must be content to suffer, to die and be forgotten. Gulp. In our social media age, where so often we feel we have to have a comment about everything, friends, maybe some of us, we need to be reminded, including myself, just living a quiet life is the most faithful. Just faithfully loving the people that are in your world right now the family that you've got, the friends you've got, being committed to them, being committed to that group of people, that church, not without great fanfare, not with an accompanying soundtrack, but just loving, faithfully, walking with those who are in your world. And friends, that is why we as a church are on this journey, to bring life wherever we are, just simply by extending the love and grace of Jesus. That's why we want to try and find a new venue rather than here that we can fully adapt and fully use. And we're still on that search. We'd love you to pray into it because there are a few opportunities, but we really need God to break through and open those doors. So please do pray into that. But as we continue this journey, simply helping each other in our groups and as church to love each other and faithfully live quiet lives, Trying to win the respect of those outside just by being kind and caring, showing the same kind of love that Jesus did. We're going to end with one little more quote from the Queen. Here it is, from 2011. It's my prayer, she said, that on this Christmas day, we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of God through Christ our Lord. It's that that enables us, whatever our lives look like, to faithfully love those around us, the partners who don't love Jesus, the family members who seem annoyed at us, the friends that we'd love to get to know Christ, the colleagues that we want to walk with, is by clinging on to the one who gave it all. Friends, 